right, welcome along to the RTE Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Jello, joined by Anthony Pine this week. We've got an interview coming up with the former referee, Alan Kelly, who's just retired after 27 years last month. And uh, most of that interview is going to revolve around his MLS experience and now his new role, which he's taken up with the Professional Referees Organization and VAR and the abuse of referees being a deterrent for the younger generation of officials that are coming through. But Anthony, before we bring you that, there's plenty to discuss uh, this week in terms of news. And there's actually concrete news in terms of fixtures for Ireland uh, before the Nations League. Of course, there's March friendlies. Belgium on March 26th, Lithuania on March 29th, and great prep for the Nations League. Yeah, I mean, the Belgium one is obviously the eye-catching game, Raf, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's the world number one ranked team, uh, big nation, lots of stars. It, it does come with an asterisk, and that Belgium have said, they've confirmed that they won't be playing any players with more than 50 caps, which is, a, is a, just their policy in the year of the World Cup. They want to, Martinez, Roberto Martinez wants to get a look at them. Um, I guess some some fringe players or uh, younger players trying to battle their way into the squad. Um, I guess he's he knows everything he needs to know about the likes of Kevin De Bruyne. So it means we we may not see or we we definitely won't see those uh, stars, De Bruyne, Lukaku in Dublin. But um, they still got some really really good players, the likes of uh, Tielemans, uh, Jeremy Doku. Like they're the type of players I think we'll see at the Aviva. So. Uh, it's it's a great test for Ireland. They're still going to play a very strong side, and also a very hungry team because it will be full of players who are trying to prove a point, make you know, put their hand up for their, uh, inclusion in the squad. Um, but I guess, like from Ireland's point of view, it's it is a, an opportunity now in that they have a better chance of getting a result. You know, Belgium aren't going to be at their absolute uh, the absolute peak of their powers. Um, and okay, it's a friendly, but you know it's important to try and re- regain or retain the momentum that was so hard earned, uh, earned towards the end of the World Cup qualification campaign. You know, if they can pick up where they left off, even with the performance, just a bright performance and a narrow win, uh, sorry, a narrow defeat would, would be, it, it, Stephen Kenny, I'm sure, would take that. Um, and then, of course, as you say, a nice bridge towards um, June, July for those big Nations League games. Yeah, we'd take the narrow win as well, I think, uh, personally. But <laughs> but um, in terms, like you mentioned, players putting their hands up. Connor Ronan is somebody who's been, well, he scored four goals for St. Mirren this season. He's on loan from Wolves. I think it's a sixth loan at this stage. And uh, his manager, Jim Goodwin, of course, who comes from Waterford, um, has been talking him up. Um, how much have you seen of him? Obviously, he's not very new to the scene in the sense that he's been around quite a while, despite being just 23. Well, yeah, I mean, he's as you mentioned there, is it six loans? I mean, he's been to clubs like Portsmouth and Walsall in England. Then he went to Slovakia. Then he was in Switzerland with Grasshopper. And now he's in Scotland at, at St. Mirren. So 23 years old, he's already got a lot of miles under the belt. He's had an interesting career already. But he is still a Wolverhampton player. You know, they gave him a new contract in the summer of 2020, which was for four years, which sort of tells you what they think of him and how highly they think of him. So, you know, was there an opportunity for him going forward at Wolves? I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but uh, he's certainly a very good player and he is getting to the age where, you know, he kind of has to nail down. He, he needs to stay somewhere now for a couple of seasons and establish himself, wherever that may be. Um, the goal the other night sort of just showed you everything you need to know about Conor Rowan and the, the capabilities that he has. Um, and in terms of, you know, his Ireland prospects, then, yeah, he's, he's absolutely capable of, of forcing his way into the squad. It, it wouldn't surprise me to see him in an Ireland squad this year. Now, that type of player, that sort of 
technical, smaller, uh, intelligent player. Um, sometimes it takes a little longer for the, for those type of guys to fully develop. Um, Wes Houlihan had one cap for Ireland before he was 30. You know, he had a single cap for Ireland. Now, you can say that was maybe um, management failings and, and a, a bad oversight. But when he got into his 30s, he, you know, he, he matured as well. And, he, you know, he always looked after his body well. So uh, it, it can take a little longer for that, for that, that type of player to, to really blossom properly. And I think Conor Ronan, uh, who's still young, but, you know, he is, as I said, he is getting to that stage where he, he kind of needs to properly settle and establish himself at a club level just to help you know everything else can follow them in terms of Ireland and his Ireland chances does not no harm at all to be scoring goals in Scotland uh, for a club like St Mirren um, and I think the manager referenced Jamie McGrath and his how he's developed over the last year and you could see you know he took that onto the international stage so um, it's, it, it'll be interesting to watch him. You know, I, I think you'd imagine he's the type of player that Stephen Kenny would like as well. Yeah, like, you know, and, you know yeah. that. Yeah, and I, kind of on that point, I was talking to Jim Goodwin back in October, kind of an in-depth interview, which was more about Jim Goodwin himself. But we talked a lot about the he's got a huge Irish contingent there, about half a dozen players, and um, Jamie McGrath was one. He talked about his development going from being kind of like a ten to an eight. And we've seen how that's developed at international level. And then with Ronan, like just a direct quote there, if you've got a willing runner up top like Adam Ida, you need people behind him that are willing to play those passes and capable of playing them. And Ronan was the one he specifically referenced. So characteristics-wise, we are probably missing a player like that. Yeah, I mean, I think we spoke before, Raph, about um, Ireland being much more of a systematic team now. And if you're the type of player that can lend 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 yourself to that system, you've got a real chance. Like Ogbené in the last window was a really good example of that, of a guy who could slot in and, and slot it in really well, really effectively into the team. So it could be that Stephen Kenny looks at someone like Ron. Now, there, there are others. He's not the only player of that ilk that's been mooted for Ireland uh, inclusion. But, you know, you, you can imagine him, you can imagine Stephen Kenny looking at him thinking, yeah, potentially I could use him here and he might be able to do it for for the team so Stephen Kennedy will be well aware of them he knows them you know he, he knows what he's capable of. I'm sure he's in regular contact with, with the likes of Jim Goodwin um, and I, I think over the course of this year you may see him get his chance at least get a call up into the squad so uh, he just has to keep doing what he's doing at the minute keep playing keep playing well uh, it doesn't help it doesn't do any harm if you bang in a screamer like he did the other night um, and we'll see we'll see yeah, another interesting, uh, well, uh, this is more of a transfer and more closer to home, but um, James Abankwa going to Udinese kind of came out of nowhere <laughs> from my point of view. I just saw the news um, earlier in the week and uh, it's a really interesting move. Udinese um, within Italy, okay, they're not, a, they're not one of those seven sisters top clubs, but they've generally done quite well. They've been established in Serie A for a long time, so it's a really great move from this is a great move for him, but this is the sea change, you know, in the last, uh, since Brexit um, and, and the landscape in Irish football, how much is changing now. I think it was um, an Ireland under 17 team this year, or sorry, last year, that for the first time had no players in the, in the entire squad affiliated to an English club, um, all either based domestically or um I think Kevin Zeffi, in Kevin Zeffi's case, he was with Inter Milan. Um, and there's a couple who were in Germany and, uh, and obviously Italy. So things are changing. And it means that um, you're going to see more of this, Raph. You're going to see more moves like this, I think. from 
he's, he's staying with Pats until the summer, until he completes his leaving cert, yeah. and then he'll make the move to Italy. He's a fantastic player. I mean, he came, he came on in the Cup final, the FAI Cup final for Pats. Um, and, you know, if anybody hadn't seen him up to that point, that, that I think he was on the pitch for probably about maybe half an hour, 40 minutes. Um, uh, that, that told you everything you need to know about this kid. Like, he was so composed, uh, you know, for, for a player of his age, he just looked quality, really, really quality. You know, I, I didn't see this move coming either, but um, it's 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 a great move. It's a really interesting, exciting move to an established Serie A side, a side who've obviously done well in the Champions League as well in recent years. Um, and, you know, as I said, it's it's we're going to see a little more of this. I mean, there, there's talk that Cahill Heffernan uh, who's with Cork City, you know, he's, he's been linked to a few clubs around Europe. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen is the recent the recent one. Um, he's, he's gone on trials in, uh, to, to various countries. Um, and, you know, the opportunities, uh, Brexit, the, the change there, the players can't go to England now. Uh, it's a twofold thing for the players themselves. It completely broadens their horizons. It's making them all think of, you know, different adventures, uh, different options. Uh, but what really what what's happening now is that uh, scouts from Italy, uh, from Germany, from Holland, they're coming to Ireland. They're training. They're focusing on Ireland because they, they see now. Well, you know, the the bridge to the Premier League has been cut off for these young players. So opportunity, bargains, value, good young players that we can take, um, and get them over to our academies, our infrastructures, and and develop them. So. It's really positive and it's really exciting. And then, you know, hopefully from St. Pat's point of view, they, they've been well compensated um, for them, which is which is good to see as well, because, you know, we've seen for, for how long that League of Ireland clubs lose players like that for basically nothing. It ties in. It ties into what Stephen Bradley has just been saying in regards to the need for longer term deals uh, in order to get a, a financial outlay back to the clubs, because that has been an issue in terms of, players kind of going for nothing as you say yeah well it, it's difficult I mean obviously not all the clubs may be in a position to offer those sort of long-term deals but um I mean Stephen Bradley is is correct I mean it's so different when you, you see what happened say uh draw the United um this year losing a, a lot of players like James Brown went to Blackburn you know very little in the way of compensation Johnny Kenny went from Sligo to Celtic and I, I think they will Maybe a few hundred grand, I think, is, is involved in that uh, deal. But really, they're, they're not getting bang for their book here, you know, and they're producing these very, very good young players. Um, so it's it's difficult. I mean, for a club like Shamrock Rovers, uh, Dundalk, um, maybe Derry City will be in the position to tie down these uh, younger prospects on longer term deals to, to protect themselves, I guess. But not every club is in that position. Um you know, it's, it's, this isn't just to do with guys under 18 either. You know, if, if you're over 18 and we're talking about Brexit being detrimental to players moving to England, uh, once you get over 18, it, it actually flips again because the common travel agreement between Ireland and Britain means that Irish players who go there don't need a work permit. So, for example, Killian Phillips going to Crystal Palace, you know, it makes... From their point of view, he's a much more attractive uh, option to take a play on because there's no work permit, there's less uh, obstacles to overcome as opposed to trying to sign, you know, a player of similar similar ability from a different country. Um, 
So it's interesting times. The landscape has just changed so much, Raph, and it's going to be really, really interesting to see how it continues to change in the next few years. But I do predict that we are going to see you know, these types of moves to you know, a banquet to uh, Udinese, really eye-catching, uh, headline-grabbing move. But um, I'd expect a few more. I'd expect a few more over the next couple of years. Yeah, and one final move to discuss, and it's the uh, road from Bohemians to Shamrock Rovers, and Andy Lyons has now uh, treaded that uh, Obviously, Rovers strengthening their squad, but for Bohemians again, in a in a window where Ross Tierney is gone, Dawson Devoy is gone, another blow. Yeah, I mean the list of players now: Ross Tierney, Keith Ward, and Rob Cornwall, and Keith Buckley, uh, potentially Georgie Kelly. It it is a blow. It is a blow for Bowles. Um, from Andy Lyon's point of view, there was talk of him going to England. There was interest from England. Um, I think crew were, were quite heavily linked to him. Uh, he's gone to Shamrock Rovers, where he's going to play in Europe this year. He's gone to the best team in the country at the minute, chance to win more, a bit of silverware, and to to play in a really strong outfit under uh, good coaches. Now, and that's not in any way um, a reflection on. Keith Long, who continues to do an unbelievable job there, but I, I guess from a football point of view, for Andy Lyons, it, you can understand that it's it's, it's going to sting. It's going to really sting um, Bohemians, and it's, this is going to be a tough season for them. It really is. Like they've been hit hard over the winter, um, but as you know, football in terms, as I said, it'll be interesting to see how Rovers use Andy Lyons or what they try and do with him. You know, will, will he be a functional right back or will they use him as a, as a wing back? How is he going to develop? He's 21. He's, he's an Ireland under 21 international. Um, potential, lots of potential to keep improving, to keep getting stronger and keep getting better, which, you know, he, it, it's, it's, it's a good environment to do that. Shamrock Rovers right now, you know, it's so, it's ambitious and a competitive environment. So, um, yeah, it, it is, it's, it's a bad blow for, for balls and, um, you know, you can understand the frustration of their fans of seeing another guy go across the, the way to their their biggest rivals. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how Lyons goes. So he is a very good player and uh, they obviously have, you know, Bradley obviously has something in mind uh, with how he's going to use them and, and try to develop them over the next year. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. And also, of course, uh, we'll see how the rest of the window goes, of course. But now time to bring the interview with Alan Kelly, former referee. Um, I started off by asking Alan about his how emotional his last match as an official was. And that was the Western Conference final last month. And uh, also discussed what prompted the decision to retire from refereeing. Yeah, um, I, I suppose the the what prompted it was just um, it just was a matter of timing, really. Um, but I, I think it gets to a point where every referee in their career, whether it's uh, as a professional referee or or a semi professional referee, where you kind of think, when do I finish? So from a professional point of view, I've been thinking about it maybe 12, 18 months that kind of way. I started thinking about it that far back as a, as just a passing thought and. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I've come into the last two seasons kind of thinking, is it going to be the last season kind of way? And um, um, this season was one was, uh, sorry, last season was was no different where where the, the, the thought had entered my head. But at the same time, it popped out just as quick. And um, as the season progressed, it was just something that, you know, became more and more on my mind, even though the season was great. You know, um, I, I couldn't have asked for a, a better season bar, you know, the, the odd blip here or there. 
But um, um, it just got to a point in around, you know, kind of August, September, where I, where I started thinking about it a little bit more. And, um, and then the, the discussion in terms of um, uh, possibly staying here in another role came up and it just got to the point where I thought this could be the right time, you know, um, um, ending it on a, on, a, on a positive note uh, in terms of the games, um, in terms of the, you know, I was feeling good from a physical point of view. Um, I didn't want to be the referee who hung around for for too long and was struggling around the field and and you know not putting everything into the game. So um, it just it just became a matter of of timing and things kind of fell into place. And um, in in a in a profession where decision making is is absolutely key, this was a really difficult one. So I had to think long and hard about it and discuss it with family and whatnot. But I just felt it was the right time and that and and that and that really prompted where um, where I ended up. Yeah, as you said, from a physical point of view, you could have kept going. But did the calf injury um, at the start of 2020, was that something that maybe factored into the decision a little bit? Obviously, it was the COVID season, so the season itself started a little bit later on. Yeah, it was. Uh, 2020 was really strange for everybody. It was, um, it's one of those year, uh, years that we will look back on in years to come um, uh, in, in a not-so-favorable way. And I'll look at it like that. Uh, yeah, look, look, injuries happen. You know that's part and parcel. It happens for players, happens for happens for referees. And uh, I, I've been lucky enough to avoid serious injury. Um, and the uh, the injury that I picked up was just a little bit. It became a little bit more complicated, which kept me out for so much longer than I thought I, I would be originally. So, um, so the idea was to kind of you know try and get back um, and, and and get some games in towards the end of the season. Thankfully, I did that and. I'd never missed a whole season. It came into my thinking to the point where, you know, I wasn't going to finish my career at the end of 2020 based on what had gone before where, you know, we missed almost the entire season and, uh, and you had three games at the end of it. So, so, you know, I thought about it from that point of view, but, but again, quickly um, dismissed the idea based on, on the year that it was. And the year it was, of course, uh, one interesting thing, of course, is the uh, the empty stadiums. And I guess it'd be interesting to hear from you as from the point of view of a referee, what that is like, because obviously when there's supporters there, you know, <laughs> trying to keep both sides happy, that's not something you're going to be able to do as a referee. But in an empty stadium, I think there was, it was one of the games, it was LAFC versus Portland towards the end of that 2020 season that was behind closed doors. Like how different is it as a, as a referee, I suppose, psychologically and kind of, in the way you kind of deal with the environment around you. Sure. Uh, again, like a really good question. And um, I, from a personal point of view, it wasn't new to me. I'd refereed a game um, many years ago uh, in a in a behind closed doors setting um, from a European perspective. So I had some experience that way. Um, we we uh, our bosses at the time, the professional referee organization. Um, um, in, in order to prepare the group for, for that environment, brought in some officials who, uh, some, some European officials who had just refereed in the Champions League um, behind closed doors, the likes of um, um, Anthony Taylor from the UK was one. And uh, he, gave, he gave us an idea in terms of how to prepare, what to prepare for, the, the real surreal feeling of, of you know, hearing literally every word that's said, um, uh, you know, not having that fan experience. Getting, uh, when, I, when, when I got back on the field, um, I think my first game was in, uh, in New York and it was empty. It was an empty stadium. And again, the, it, was, it, was, it was strange. It was a strange atmosphere. The intensity of the game, even from the players, you know, where 
you know, uh, you could you could tell from the player's perspective that where they were into the game, it wasn't full intensity, um, just simply because, you know, players feed off that uh, off that fan vibe as well. And uh, um, so so there was that. And then and then the second and third game, um, I, I was in Atlanta. It was a uh, it was a uh, uh, the Mercedes-Benz Arena. Um, so they had the roof open, so they allowed some fans in. Every state was different here. They, they allowed some fans in, but that's a 70,000-seater stadium, and there was like 3,500 fans in there, and it was great to have 3,500 fans, but they were lost in that stadium as such, you know? And again, you mentioned the LAFC-Portland game, which, again, you know, in, in normal circumstances is a real intense game, Good rivalry there. Always, always a really good atmosphere in the stadiums, whether it's in in Los Angeles or whether it's in Portland, and um, and again, like like where where there was the, where the game was competitive, you could tell it wasn't as 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 crazy intense as it normally is, you know. So um, yeah, there was a bit of an adjustment to, to that side of it, you know. Um, it was great from the point of view of telling the players that you know from a descent point of view that they couldn't really get away with it anymore because everybody could hear. Uh, everything that was said so um, so um players were on their on their on their i won't say best behavior but better behavior for sure yeah and in the seven and eight years that you were there and i, I guess more prior to when covid came in um when you're to, when you're comparing it to the experience of uh, refereeing in ireland and then competitions that are that involve uefa and fifa in terms of the culture the travel distance how just how drastically different was it for you uh, drastically different, um, especially when, it, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever complain about driving from Cork to Derry ever again, Cork <laughs> to Finn Harps. Um, you know, uh, yeah, look, from, from that point of view, almost every game for me is a, is a flight. Um, it, it was similar to the European experiences where uh, typical, typical travel for that would be you travel day before the game, you have day of game, then you travel back after. And it's the same with an MLS, uh, with an MLS game. Um, I don't think I've ever had a domestic game where I've had to fly six hours, you know, but that's a, a, a pretty regular occurrence um, when you fly coast to coast uh, for games. Um, in, in terms of the games themselves, in terms of the league uh, itself, um, uh, like from an MLS point of view, uh, I've been here eight years and I've seen growth every single year. Uh, and I know the league itself um in terms of the in terms of its relevance within the world footballing um, uh, community has just grown and grown and grown in stature in in, in that period of time um, so you know um, you know stadiums are, are generally jam-packed you know they average out at well I said jam-packed but they average the average attendance is something around 22 23 thousand um, higher in the bigger stadiums obviously but um, um, that's what it averaged out at so so that's a little bit different to home for sure. Um, you know, where look, look, the League of Ireland is a League of Ireland is is I grew up a League of Ireland fan, you know, I'm still a League of Ireland fan. And the League of Ireland community is a very, very unique community. Um uh the games there, I saw something on Twitter uh, uh just last week where uh there was a, there was a clip of an old Cork and Shells game. I think it was a might have been um cup game or a league game can't can't remember but i was fourth official there and you know the the tackles were flying in you know the 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 passion in terms of what you could hear from the stands was there so um but yeah you know it's 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 a different environment different culture um but ultimately the same game yeah and you were the mls referee of the year three times like do you take extra pride given that 
the voting mechanism for that involves players and coaches generally they're the ones like you you're not there's no way of necessarily keeping them happy but at the end of the season of course if they're voting for you it's it's obviously a positive yeah look um i i take those um um accolades a little bit with a pinch of salt i'm really appreciative of, of them first of all but there's no referee starts out their season looking to win a referee of the year or well you know i, I can speak for myself and, and and certainly say that and i know others are in the same boat and it's it's very much a you know if if the accolade comes your way you're appreciative of it but um it in no way um uh reflects how you referee games you know um but yeah i suppose you know it, it is nice it's nice to to get the recognition from from coaches, you know, media players, uh, and so on, and um, and uh, there's a there's, there's enough from a league perspective. There was a big push that way. Um, it, it was nice to win them once nominated. I suppose, you know, you, your competitive nature kind of kicks in a little bit once you're nominated. You you, you kind of like to win it kind of way, you know. But if you don't, you don't. And um, um, Look, you know, uh, again, I, I was thankful to, to and appreciative of, of winning the award three times. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain when I look back at the history books and at some point down the road, uh, it'll be nice to see my name there listed, you know. So um, but other than that, you know, that's that's pretty much it. It, it has no bearing on, on how we approach the season or games or anything like that. Yeah, and your new role now is with the Professional Referees Organisation, and which is headed up by Howard Webb, which obviously, of course, people who are familiar with the Premier League of a certain vintage will remember him officiating games. But what does your new role entail there? I know it's Senior Referees Manager, but on a day-to-day -day level, uh, what like what's your role in regards to working with the referees that are currently in the league? Yeah, um, we have a um, Howard's our general manager. Mark Iger is our director of um, our director of uh, senior uh, senior officials, and uh, and I'm the I'm the referee manager within that. Like I, I've worked with that group. Um, it's 26 officials. Um, so I've I've worked. I've been part of that group for 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 eight years. And over that period of time, I've seen the, the transition and, and the evolution of that group from what it was when I started to what what it is now. Um, and that's mainly down to the fact that. You know, some 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 fantastic referees have just reached a point in their careers where they've stepped away, and with that, you've got to you've got to promote from from the other end. You know, um, so the group itself, as twenty six officials, we have uh, we have training camps, four and five day training camps throughout the season, once a month. Um, we do on, uh, so with that, you've got a physical aspect um, in terms of our sports science department training and so on. Uh, next week we have um, uh, we've got a five day training camp where the preseason fitness test takes place. But within those camps, then we also have an educational aspect. Um, so it's it's producing the educational content, um, uh, preparing the camp um, from that perspective. Um, uh, so we have we have those in person camps once every month, every week. Then we have one to ones with the uh, with the officials. Every other week we have an online um, uh, anywhere between two and four hours from an educational point of view with the officials. So this morning, just to give you an idea, you know, I've, I've, I've been analyzing 72 different video clips um, in terms of, of producing the video content or the educational content for, for uh, the three or four educational sessions for, for next week. So there's that, there's the assigning aspect to it. Um, there's the uh, the administration aspect of it. January is normally preparing for a fitness test for me. This January has been very different. It's 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 reading policies and procedures and updating myself and all the 
the really fun stuff that goes on behind the scenes. So, um, so yeah, from the day-to-day environment, there's, there's all that side of it, very much education heavy, uh, assignment, uh, assignment focused, and then debriefing uh, with the officials. And then it's, it's preparing the, uh, the educational content for that, for those camps, as I say, on a, uh, on a, the one-to-one sessions, the, the, the online sessions, and then the in-person sessions. So it's, um, it, it's all that. There's a whole lot more other stuff in terms of technical committees and, you know, dealing with coaches and, and uh, you know, um, uh, all of that kind of stuff in terms of answering questions, game-related, you know, which there'll be lots of. Um, but it, it's, it's a good opportunity as well to... to uh, I won't say educate the coaches, but give the 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 referee perspective to uh, to um, um, to you know managers who are managers or coaches or players uh, who um, who might feel aggrieved in the in the moment, you know, um, and 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 giving that perspective. And uh, you know, where, where there's not always 100% agreement, there's a there's more of an understanding um, uh, of uh, of what's involved. So all oh, there's there's a whole lot of stuff like that, which is which is good. You know, I like communicating communicating with people. Um, I did that as a as a referee, um, players, coaches. That that seemed to work for me. So so I really look forward to that aspect of it as well. Uh, and from like, the yeah no sorry you go yeah just on the education point of view and also you mentioned communication there and you've thirty years of experience within refereeing give or take. Um, what do the younger referees like? What are they? What do they tend to look for most in terms of the uh, the information that they need, maybe to push themselves forwards and progress um, as outside of obviously knowing the rules of the game and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, like I, I think it's 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 guidance. You know, um, if if you look at if you take our group, we've got a we've got a mix of, of of really experienced referees with with you know this year we've got four brand new referees to MLS. I won't say. Uh, yeah, almost brand new. They've gone through kind of a trial period where they've where they've had some games. So we've we've had an opportunity to to, to look at them from that perspective, and to a point where we think, yeah, these these referees uh, deserve a shot now coming to the group. Um, so I think from a group perspective, it's 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 guidance. Look, I mentioned earlier on that um, um, that MLS in terms of the the the, the landscape. Uh, in 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 terms of world football has has improved the expectation on our officials has just grown and grown and grown so it's really really important that that they be prepared or we prepare them as best as possible um, people always talk about consistency in officials you know so the opportunity that we have in those in those camps and from an educational point of view is to give a clear and consistent message in terms of you know, when we're making decisions on challenges or handballs or penalty area incidents or, you know, all of that kind of stuff, there's a, that the, um, that all the considerations that, uh, that have to be taken account into account are taken into account, you know, positioning, movement, um, uh, creating the best possible viewing angles, basically working harder on the field type of thing. Um, so yeah, giving that, that guidance uh, and giving that consistent message so that, all of our officials then take that consistent message away. Of course, you'll have some differences in terms of how people interpret certain things, you know, um, and you try and limit that as, as, as best you can. Um, but yeah, I think, I think from, uh, from, you know, the officials in the group, uh, whether they're experienced or whether they're inexperienced, just giving guidance, just giving clear, uh, I suppose, clear direction in terms of what's required. Um, I know I always appreciated that as a referee. Um, 
Um, and, and look, again, all I'm trying to do within the group is, again, look, we, we talk about preparing as best as we possibly can um, based on, on, the, on the games that are, um, uh, that are to come. Uh, you know, one of my mentors way back when, Eamon Farrow, I know it's very cliched, but he always used to say, just keep it very, very simple. You know, take one decision at a time, take one game at a time, uh, all of that kind of thing, you know? So, um, um, and he, you know, I remember him saying to us way back on the School of Excellence with the, uh, with the Football Association of Ireland that like, he was here to, to, to try and get the best out of us, you know, to, to, to help uh, officials reach their, their, their max potential, you know, um, and, and it's no different for me, you know, um, that's what I'm hoping from the group uh, is that I can, I can impart some of my experience, um, I won't say all of it, but some of my experience onto them and uh, they take whatever works for them um, along with the, the work that we do from the, from the education side of it so that they take it into their games. Yeah, and uh, technology is the added layer um, over recent years. Of course, there was goal line technology, but I think the biggest bone of contention tends to be in and around VAR. Um, you've been on both sides, as in being the VAR official, of course, and the referee on field. Could you just maybe take me through the um, like like that communication feedback that happens when, let's say, a penalty incident occurs and how how that is prompted and then how it's carried out? Because, of course, there's still a, probably a level of confusion about how that works. Sure. Yeah, the, the the technology side of it is is something that has evolved within the game over the last couple of years. VAR being the biggest uh, the biggest one. Okay. Um, um, I think it's, a, it's I think it's really important to point out from a referee's point of view. I didn't approach the game. You know, pre two thousand seventeen, I approached the game the way I approached the game. All right. Then VAR uh, came into um, uh, MLS in, in twenty seventeen, and it was something new and it was different. And there was you know some fear and apprehension to a degree because you know it's like that when things are new um, but i can honestly say that from my point of view and from a referee's point of view we don't approach how we referee the game any differently you know it, it, it's still all about all the things i've just mentioned there in terms of you know working hard getting around the field positioning movement creating best viewing angles um var is there to correct the serious errors that are clear and obvious you know um I think within MLS, what we've done over that period of time has been a really good job. Is it is it one hundred percent accurate? No, um, but you know, it, I think I think there was an expectation that when VAR was introduced, it was going to be a silver bullet to fix all the problems in the game. I think if you look at it from a statistical point of view, right, um, VAR has assisted the game in terms of getting the getting more key match incidents um when i say key match incidents i'm talking about goals uh penalty kicks uh red card scenarios correct um than it would have without var um has it led to some some confusion and some inconsistency sure you know um uh, I, you know, I was at home at Christmas and I was watching Sat and I watched Man City Arsenal or Arsenal Man City um, and there was a there was a, a potential penalty decision early in the game when I saw it live I'm thinking oh direction of the ball's changed I think the keeper's got the ball that kind of thing and I looked at three different angles and I'm thinking yeah it looks like he's got the ball there and then one angle showed maybe he didn't get the ball and then it wasn't sent for review uh, it wasn't sent for review and there was a whole big you know hoopla in terms of why wasn't it sent for review and from a referee point of view i know that if i'm sent to the screen um and we're coached in this right you send a 
if you're sending someone to the screen, you're going to tell them that this is a clear, clear error that you've made. All right. This clear and obvious error that you've made. And if, if I was at that screen in that game, I would have said, okay, show me the, show me this angle, you know, and I would, you know, there would have been an angle prepared for me. And I would have looked at another angle and I would have said, I think he gets the ball. Maybe he gets the ball. Maybe he doesn't get the ball. Right. So that's, that's what you don't want as a referee to be put in a position where you're like, you're looking at it going, it could be one way or it could be the other, you know? So that gives you an idea of the, the, the what not to do um, aspect of it. Um, there's nothing worse from a referee point of view than, than uh, being at a screen with, with doubt still on the screen, you know? Um, so, and I think that's happened sometimes and that, that creates some issues. Um, but more often than not, Hey, look, if I was sent to the, if I was sent to the monitor, you go there with an open mind uh, and you, you look at it, you look at all the aspects to it and then you make your decision, you know? Um, so I, like, I hope that, you know, uh, adds to, 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 to the understanding of, of it a little bit. Um, again, interpretation, you know, um, uh, we, 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 we've adopted a, a very high threshold here. Um, and, and I think from the sporting uh, landscape, point of view here in the U.S. because of the U.S. sports, you know, the basketball, the, the football, the hockey, having video replay, um, that there was more of a, an adoption of it from a, from a football or a soccer perspective um, than maybe in Europe. Uh, look, if you go back before VAR, I think everybody, TV, media, fans, players, um, were looking for the introduction of technology. Um, there was a there was a resistance at the time from a from an official point of view officials point of view because you know will it affect the flow of the game that was a real real worry and um, and and people said no the technology is there let's go use it so now it's in place you know uh, some people are for it some people not so much um, and again that's a that's a that's a matter of opinion but from a statistical point of view it certainly corrected more of those key match incidents than others. Has it left some some um, some doubt there? Uh, for sure, you know. Um, I think the one at the weekend, um, uh, Liverpool Crystal Palace game, yeah, yeah. Liverpool Palace, you know, and that was one of those ones you look at it, and you go, I really wish I really wish the VAR didn't send it down from from an official's point of view, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's that that's the type of incident that that. Um, we like talking about, you know, referees in other leagues or anything like that, but just to use that incident, because I know it's relevant to, uh, to home. Um, I, I, I do. I, I, I would have preferred that the, uh, the VAR just steered clear of that. Yeah, there's contact there, but you can clearly see that, um, that it's Yota, that's the old Yota, that's, that's his momentum has brought him into the goalkeeper. Um, you know, and that's just understanding the game uh, a little bit and just seeing the bigger picture rather than a still shot type of thing, you know? Yeah, and just on that one, actually, because I was going to bring up the referee review area and th that particular incident that you just discussed, um, that has been, that has kind of sparked a debate over in over in England um, in respect of, I think there's been 49 time, 49 decisions where the referee has made a call and then they've been sent to the review area and on all 49 occasions, they've actually changed um, from the original decision that they've made. Like, are you surprised by that sort of trend? I think the previous season, only five of the total number were actually um, ended up with the referees sticking with their original decision. Yeah, I wasn't aware. I, I wasn't aware of the, the the statistic in terms of number, but I have seen lots of games this year where um, where once the referee has gone there, there's a there's a tendency to change um, to, to change his or her mind. Um, uh, from again, I'll, I'll give you my experience. 
experience of it. Okay. Um, I would go, uh, none of us like to be wrong on the field, right? That's, you know, we, that's the way we've always been. We, you, you always work to try and get to the best decision, uh, to, to, to the correct decision. Um, and you do everything that you possibly can to do that. Um, so when, when you hear the VAR say, you know, Alan, stop the game. I'm going to recommend a review for penalty kick. Your immediate thought is, oh no, I've made a mistake type of thing. But at the same time, then you're open-minded, you go, you take a look at all of the elements in the equation here. And look, if it's a penalty, it's a penalty and, 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 and that's it, you know? Uh, and you, you look at all of the considerations in terms of, you know, the decisions that we make on the field and you still do that process when you're looking at it from a video perspective. So, so yeah, it surprises me that, that every decision has been changed. Um, you know, I, I've gone to the screen where I've changed decisions. And I've gone to the screen where I've kept my on-field decision because once I applied those considerations, you know, my on-field, I deemed my on-field decision to be uh, correct, you know. So, um, so yeah, the statistic is, is uh, somewhat um, surprising, um, but, you know, that's, that's it. Yeah, one issue I did want to touch on with you was the um, issue of abuse towards referees. And um, there were uh, it obviously it came up here in Ireland, obviously because of the the NDSL, where there were matches suspended because of the the levels of abuse and the concerns the referees had. Are, are you worried maybe that for the next wave of referees coming through, that without action, um, you know, it's going to actually reduce the number of referees coming through, number of officials um, into the into the future, which obviously would be detrimental to the game. And the simple answer to that is yes, right? It's already uh, proving to be a deterrent from people taking up um, refereeing, okay? Um, unfortunately, it's, it's always been there. I, I, I suffered physical abuse as a, as a, as a, as a referee uh, in, my, in my younger days. It's not a nice place to be, especially when you're refereeing a game on your own, no assistant referees or anything like that. Um, it's not a nice place to be. I, I'm, I'm very aware of the, um, uh, of the incident in Dublin, um, but... You know, that's not an isolated incident. That, those types of incidents have been going on uh, all over the country, all over the world. You know, um, it's no different here in the, in the U.S. to a degree. Um, uh, it, it is proving um, to be a deterrent. Uh, it's incumbent on, it's really important on every national association, uh, every league within uh, to, to really adopt a no tolerance policy. Look, uh, we all like our kids to do well at sport. Um, I've watched, you know, schoolboys, schoolgirls games, um, both at home and here in the U.S. Um, parents are, you know, have a have a responsibility to behave, um, to show a better example. Coaches have a responsibility to behave, show a better example, and lead from from the front from that point of view. Officials, you know, at times have have a responsibility to play as well. Um, but when it comes to that side of it, right? Um, if 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 somebody is sent off for the scent, if somebody is sent off for threatening an official, if somebody is sent off for physically um, abusing an official, there is no place for that in any game, in any sport, um, anywhere around the world. Um, and it's really, really important, in my opinion, to, um, to, to adopt a zero tolerance approach to that, you know, uh, from, from an authority's point of view, um, you know, I, I really would call on them to, to, come down really, really hard uh, when it comes to that type of thing. So that it sends out a clear message that it, it's not tolerated. And it, it does send out a message to officials that, look, you are supported. And, and you know, you can be, even though it's after the fact, 
protected. I know from my point of view, what happened, it happened on a Friday evening. Uh, it happened on a, I remember the Good Friday Peace Agreement for different reasons. Um, it happened on, on that day to me. Um, and it, it, it wasn't very pleasant. Um, I was lucky enough to have a game the following day. Um, and the thought, do I go, do I not go type of thing. And there was good people around me to, to give me the support, that kind of thing. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, we had, we had an official in Cork that was um, um, uh, threatened, a uh, young official that was threatened. Um, you know, I didn't know the official, but I, I, I reached out just to say, hey, look, been there. It's happened to me before. It's not nice. But, um, uh, you know, you have support there if, if, if you need it. Feel free, to, feel, free, feel free to touch base type of thing, you know. And, there's a, and I think it's really important that, that referee communities um, around the country do that um, when it happens. It, it just gives a, a sense of, you know, that, that, a sense of feeling, a sense of safety to a, to a degree to the official. But from the authority's point of view, adopt, please adopt a, a zero tolerance approach to this. And one thing maybe, um, obviously we see it in rugby where only the captain's able to speak to the referee. Um, is that something you feel soccer globally should be possibly looking at, at least on the on-pitch stuff? Yeah, yeah, why not? You know, um, look, the, the, the captain in, 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 a game of, in a game of soccer doesn't have any, you know, um, has nothing specific in terms of a, of a right to come and talk. But look, again, I, I mentioned it earlier. I'm, I'm all for communication, right? I'm, I value the, the, the opportunity to communicate on the field. Um, I would take it at every opportunity if it was presented to me. I think when players and managers uh, do that, right, um, uh, I think you have to, I think football general has, a, has, a, has, has an issue with this, right? Um, there is an emotional outburst. There is an instant emotional outburst. Uh, once that instant period is over, there's a responsibility on the players to behave properly. I would always say to players, hey, look, you know, I, was always, I would always say to a captain pre-game, you know, when we're in the tunnel, ready to come, uh, ready to come out in the field, if you have a question, come and talk to me. Do it the right way, right? Uh, don't come with arms flailing, you know, having five or six people around really isn't a good look. It won't be tolerated, type of thing, you know. So, um, so yeah, like once, once, whether it's a captain, whether it's any player on the field or a coach, once you approach an official the right way in a respectful way, you'll get a much more positive response than you would if you approach them in in, in a non-respectful, arms flailing, voice raised, you know, profanities flowing type of uh, type of way. So, um, so yeah, captains are one, but at the same time. You know, it's not just limited to captains. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens in terms of the rulings there. And um, one thing, just before I let you go, obviously you said you were uh, you were able to get back home. I think just uh, just over Christmas. Uh, how difficult was it? I suppose being away, especially during the COVID period, and uh, in the long term, or is there is there kind of a dream in mind to kind of return to Ireland or specifically to the Republic of Cork um, <laughs> in the long term? Um, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I've been asked that a lot. It's 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 great to go home, right? Um, it was really difficult, um, you know, in the in the period before COVID. We were used to people coming over for the summer, um, parents, you know, family members. Um, it was like a, a constant stream uh, of uh, of um, of family coming over and getting to spend time with them and and so on. And we would always go home at Christmas uh, and so on. The last the last couple of years have been difficult, not being able to. Not being able to 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 have people over, um, we we did get back in 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 2020, um, but it was really 
you know, it wasn't a, it, it was great to see people. It wasn't a great experience in terms of, you know, the, the lockdown aspects and, and so on. Um, it, long term, we, we don't know. You know, it's as simple as that. Look, uh, uh, Cork is home. Ireland is home. Um, you know, uh, I, I mentioned earlier on, you know, the, 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 the League of Ireland, the affinity to the League of Ireland. Um, you know, we still go home. Uh, when we go home, uh, when, you know, when we're home, uh, we still go to games. I have an 11-year-old son, 14-year-old daughter, and a five-year-old daughter. Five-year-old daughter hasn't experienced League of Ireland football yet, but uh, but the other two have, um, and uh, they want to go to some games when those games on. Um, so, look, you'd never say never kind of thing, you know. Um, we'll wait and see. But for now, for now, uh, the, the role that I have here... Um, there's a big responsibility. It's a big responsibility in a, in a, in a really, really um, professional environment in a, in a, in a league that's just growing and growing. So, um, so my focus is, is firmly on doing the best they can possibly do for the, for the group of referees that I have here. All right. Well, best of luck with the new role. And uh, also thanks a million uh, for taking the time to chat to me and also kind of uh, filter through those issues like VAR and everything else that, uh, <laughs> that keeps a lot of people up at night. Happy to do it. Anytime, Raph. No matter. Thanks a minute. All right, that is Alan Kelly. And uh, Anthony, thanks for uh, coming on this week. Um, of course, if you're looking for more podcasts, the RT Ruby podcast has just gone out and the first RTGA podcast of the year as well. But that's it for this week on the Soccer Pod.